0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Um, I want to welcome those who are joining us online again today. and. Um, uh, perhaps someone sick in the family or whatever, but um, uh, welcome uh, to those who are joining us online. If you just want to let us know that you're joining us um, through whatever you're watching on, that'll be great. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements. Friday, the conference starts. Life on Mission conference starts. Some of you are the type of people who are like, what's the last possible moment I can register and then you wait till the day after that um, and ask if you can register. Um, if you haven't registered yet, please do so. Just a reminder, our church family, RCFAM20, if you use that code, you get 20% off of uh, what the price is on there. So RCFAM20, uh, if you want to just log in uh, and, uh, and get registered for that. But uh, it's going to be just a fantastic time. Uh, speakers flying in on Thursday, and I'm really excited to see what God's going to do through our time together. Uh, One other announcement. We could use some help with the Setup Teardown team, all right? Some of you are sitting around at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning and like, I'm so bored. I wish I had something to do, okay? Okay. we could use your help, okay, um, for the setup team and then the teardown team. Uh, I'll talk more to the uh, next service. If you're regular in this service, it probably doesn't pertain to you. But the 11 o'clock folks, uh, I'll talk to them about the teardown portion of this, right? So, um, more volunteers, less need. Um, Fourth service, right? So if we could just get some more, the guys have been. There's a real faithful team that just keeps this thing together, but really would appreciate um, some help. So if we, if that Lord lays that on your hand, um, on your heart, uh, you can let the connect table know that, or uh, email uh, Lee at admin at redemptioncalgarynorth.ca, and uh, she could direct you accordingly. All right, Genesis, we. Uh, study Genesis 4. Uh, last weekend, we're getting into Genesis 5 this weekend. I've entitled the sermon, Your Family Tree. Uh, last week, we seen that there really are two families in this world. There are those who uh, follow the way of Cain. Ultimately, there are the seed of the serpent. They walk in rebellion against God and his word. Um, really heavy stuff last weekend as we uh, seen what the pathway of sin is, how it just increasingly uh, hardened hearts, uh, prideful, uh, walking away from God, and uh, at the end of it, you're, you're kind of, you just have this heavy heart. If it was not for the last two verses uh, in chapter four, you'd wonder, is there any hope? You know, God promised that there would be one who would come from the seed of woman who would defeat the seed of the serpent. But as you look at what's happening in the world, it just seems like evil's winning over and over and over again. Is there any hope? And we read at the end of chapter four that there was this other child who was born whose name was Seth. And that kind of sets us up for this week as as we look at this family line. Uh, Any of you guys, uh, Ancestry.com folks, anyone do that? Okay, be honest. Okay, a few of you. And uh, my daughter Hope, she's really into it right now. Uh, Mrs. Chester is uh, very much a part of that and helping her kind of figure out uh, who, are, um, who are the people who came before us, right? Who was great-grandma and great-grandpa and where did they come from and, and back and back and back. And um, they called me the other day like, see this picture? And it was a picture of my great-grandma and um, I found out that she came over on this boat. There's like a, there's this boat, the ship manifest, and there's her name and like 19, whatever it was, and she came over as an infant, and like it's fascinating stuff, right? And as you're going through it, your hope is always like, oh, I hope I'm related to somebody famous or somebody who was really good, right? Like that's that's always the hope, you know? Like where, where's my family line, right? And, and nobody wants to find out that they were related to Hitler or somebody like that, right? Or some kind of mass murderer, like, oh, like, I'm so glad there's a distance there, right? And, and, and it made me think about the fact that nobody wants to say that their father is the devil, right? Nobody wants to say that, and yet the reality is there are people in this world who have one of two fathers. Your father is either God or your father is the devil. That's, that's the only two options spiritually that we have. And a lot of people will, will say they're godly. A lot of people say they, they have faith and all kinds of things. But, but Jesus, when he was here on this earth, when he was confronting the religious, the godly, so-called godly people of his day, he had this to say to them in John chapter 8, verses 44 to 47. Let's read it for us. But John 8 44 to 47. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And he's, he's saying this to the respected religious people of his day. He says, you are, the fa- you are of the father, the, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Again, going right back to what we read about last week, Cain murdering Abel. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Again, Cain lying. I don't know where my brother is. And so we see the line of Cain, the line of the serpent. And he's saying, if you are not a person of the truth, then this is who you are. He says in verse 45, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convict, convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? And then he says this, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Anyone who rejects this word, anyone who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ, their father is the devil. And nobody, nobody's signing up for that. I mean, maybe a few rock guys, you know, I don't know. You know, there's, it seems like it's heavy metal or rock or something. Some, it's, somehow we'll celebrate that in a song uh, that, you know, your devil, the devil is your father. But most people don't even believe that he exists and that if he does exist, they're not with him. But the Bible tells us you're either of the Lord or you're of Satan. And my question this morning is this Who are you with? What's your family tree? What family line are you with? And and I'm praying this morning that maybe some of you have come in and you are of Satan, you are of the devil, but by the time you would leave here, you could know that you can be part of the family of God because of what Christ has done, because of this family line that we're a part of. And so let me pray for us, and then we're going to study together. Lord God, we thank you so much that for many in this room that you are our Father. Lord, it was not due to anything uh, we did on our own, but Lord, because of your grace, because of your mercy, that we have been grafted in to your family tree. Lord, it is um, it is glorious, and we will praise you for all of eternity. And God, I would pray for those this morning who are still wrestling, are still walking in rebellion against you. God, would you help them to see your love? Would you help them to see your grace? Would you help them to see hope, hope in Jesus Christ? Lord, it is in you that we find relief, it is in you that we find rest, and it is in you that we will find final rest. And so this morning we look to you, Lord, would you lead us, would you guide us by your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to understand your word in such a way that we would be further conformed into your likeness, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, everyone needs a Bible? If you don't have one, go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, Maybe you forgot yours or maybe you don't have one, but ushers will uh, be happy to give you a copy of God's word to slip up your hand. And as as they do hand those out, if you want to all turn to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, again, we'll cover the entire chapter. And, um, you know, one of those chapters that you might be tempted to kind of quickly glance at, a genealogy, that not many of us are kind of excited when we get to these, kind of like, okay, great. But, but as we study this morning, hopefully you'll see, like, why these are here. It's significant that you would know your family tree. It is important. It is a reminder of how is it that we got from that promise that there would be one from the offspring of woman to defeat the offspring of Satan. How did that come about? Well, it was through this family line. And so we read in verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years. And he died. When Keenan had lived seventy years, he fathered Mahalo. Mahalalo, sorry. Keenan lived after he fathered Mahalalo, eight hundred and forty years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Keenan were nine hundred and ten years, and he died. When Mahalalo had lived sixty-five years, he fathered Jared. Mahalala had lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalala were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch And had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is God's family tree, so to speak. This is those who followed after the Lord God. And as we look at this, we're going to see three realities about God's children. Three realities about God's children. First, we see that we wrestle with the reality of death. We wrestle with the reality of death. Uh, Moses, uh, once again, reminds us at the beginning of the elements of creation. There's there's a once again, just as we've seen in chapter 1, as we've seen in chapter 2, there's a reiteration of how creation came about. We see that it is from God that mankind came to this earth. He created them, both male and female. He created them in the likeness and image of God. We were created uniquely to have characteristics that are known of our God. We were set apart from the rest of creation. And so we see that there's this focus on the fact that we came from God, but then note as he gets into this genealogy that with the birth of Seth, there is this passing on of the likeness and image of God. And so it is, even today, every single person who is born on this earth is born into the likeness and image of God. Every single person has great worth in God's eyes. And we ought to celebrate life uh, beyond what anyone else would because of this fact, because of what we know, that that God is the one who created each one of us who knit us together in our mother's womb. And God uses uh, male and female to do so, and we see this again in verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son again in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So we see that, that there's these descendants of Adam, and, and, and there's this pattern that gets going in this chapter. There, there, there's five different things that we're told about, except for a couple of exceptions, and we're going to focus on them this morning. But but five things that we're told. First, we're told that that um, how, uh, how the, the the father, how old the father was, sorry, before the firstborn. And so You'll note things were a little different back then, right? It was not uncommon to be quite old and have children, right? At the end, Noah, how old was he? 500 years old when the kiddos came along, right? Let me just say, because I know some of you are thinking it, was for real? Like, is that how it worked back then? Yes, I believe that the dates are real, that the length of time that they lived were real, and, and that after the flood, there was an obvious change in the way that the world operated. But pre-flood, this is what was true. And so we're told how old the father was when the first son was born. Then we are then told how long they lived after that son was born. Then we are told that they didn't just have the one child, right? They had other sons and daughters. This was the case with each one. AND THEN WE ARE TOLD IN TOTAL HOW LONG THEY LIVED, WITH LASTLY, AND THEN LASTLY WHAT? WE ARE TOLD THAT THEY DIED. THEY LIVED A LONG TIME. 969 YEARS BEING THE LONGEST. THEY LIVED A LONG TIME, BUT THEY ALL DIED which if you have been with us in our study of Genesis, you will recall that God warned them, Adam and Eve, that if they ate of the fruit, they would die. God is always faithful to his word. Satan, on the other hand, had said to Eve that they would not die. He is a liar. And the truth truth is not in him. This has been the case over and over and over again. But they were given long lives. I like what Hamilton has to say here. The theological explanation of lives that span almost a millennium is that they are a reflection of God's blessing upon the Sethite ancestors of the human race. It is well known that later books of the Bible, especially Deuteronomy, hold out before the obedient Israelites the promise of growing old, of living long, length of days, and prolonging of days. And so we see in these early days on this earth that they lived long, long lives. But if we think about what the original plan could have been, if there had been no sin on this earth, they would have lived for what? Eternity. So even 930 years is short compared to eternity. But because of sin, we now have death. Death is now inevitable, except for guys like Enoch and Elijah. Those are the only two that we know that did not die. But for the rest of us, even including our Savior, there has been this prospect of death. That because of sin, we will die. So then how shall we then live? I want us just to kind of think about that because... Living under the prospect of death should influence how you live today. Does everyone know they're going to die? Do you live like you're going to die? A few years ago, 2019, we studied the book of Ecclesiastes it was this fantastic book. And, and, and really, the, if you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, as you get to the end of the book, he's saying, listen, live like you're living in reverse. What, what do you want said of you at the end? If, you know, it's now your funeral. What do you want people to say about you? If you have that in your mind, now reverse that up till today, and if you're going to have that said about you then, you must start living like this now, right? If you're going to run a marathon next year, right, and, and you've never run a marathon, you're, you're like me, never run a marathon, and you want to have some kind of respectable time, not just survive it, then you need, and you're saying, a year from now, I'm going to do that, you would need to start what? Running now. You, you wouldn't just like, oh, uh, it's next week. I guess I better figure it out. And yet, how many people spiritually think like that? Oh, no, I'm sick. It's, it's, it's cancer. I'm going to die. Okay, now i got to start living like I should have been living all along so that at the end, this can be said of me. No, we, we need to live in a particular way, and we're, we're given some insight how, as to how we should live in the end of Ecclesiastes, why don't you flip over there, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And let us be guided by one who pursued everything in this world, and this is what his conclusion was. He, he pursued, remember Solomon? He, he pursued love in all the wrong ways, right? 700 wives, 300 concubines. He he had the riches like nobody else has had. He had power like nobody else has had. And yet, at the end of it all, he said, it's all meaningless. It's all fleeting. It's just here and gone. It never satisfies. And as he gets to the the chapter, he says, this is how you should live. And so let us learn from him. Verse 9, Ecclesiastes 12, he says this, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and steadying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails, firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Notice the capital there. It is from the Lord. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a wariness of the flesh." As God's children, if we are to live a calculated life in light of the death that is coming to all of us, we need to recognize the truth. We need to be people of the book. You know what he says here, that the words that matter are the ones given by the one shepherd. You can pursue knowledge and, and all these other kinds of things, and he said there's, to, to the amount of books there is no end and it's a wearisome task, but... This book should be something that we cling to each and every day as the people of God. In light of the day that is coming, we don't want to cram for that final exam. We want to be studying now. We want to be reading and knowing this book. We want to be people of the truth I find it interesting as you as we think about this, these chapters, Genesis 1 through 11, how many people in churches today are being taught that these are not real things. It's just a story. It's just an allegory, you know, Genesis 1 through 11. They, they, you know, we know from science that these things aren't true. Well, I'll say that's a bunch of baloney, This book is true and it is the standard of truth. And these things did happen. And because they happened, you and I have hope today. If these things didn't happen in this way, then there is no hope for you and I. All right, so we must cling to this book. Trust the words given to you by the shepherd above all else. We can go to schools and we can learn, but they all go through the grid of this word. Anything contrary to this word must be rejected. If we are going to be ready for that last day, then we need to be people of the book. Secondly, look at verse 12 the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We not need to only recognize the truth, we need to revere the Lord. As we walk our, our path on this earth, we need to fear Him above all else. Now we're going through a book called "You Can Change uh, with the Guys." There's a leadership group that I'm, I'm meeting with, um, and we're going through this book, and there's, with this chapter we just went through, but that, that tendency in all of us to want to fear man. In one way or another, well, I want people to think well of me, so I better do this, this, and that. And what do they, what's, what do they think is good? I guess I better do that, and I don't want to offend anyone. And well, the Bible says, fear the Lord first. Fear the one who, who can destroy the soul, not, not those who could just only kill you, <laughs> right? For, fear the one who has eternity in his hands, and you and I as we go through this world as we think about what we ought to do and what we ought not to do we need to walk in the fear of him we want want to care about <coughs> excuse me care about what he thinks above what anyone else would think that's our goal as believers and so in walking in the fear of the lord we keep his commandments this is our privilege as the people of god And then lastly, we want to remember the end. We want to remember that there is a day when we will stand before him. Verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In other words, what I do today matters. Every word, every deed, I will give an account to the Lord at the end. There is no kind of like, I'll just make it all up at the end. I'll, 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 you know, I'm sitting here this morning, I'm hearing this word of warning from the Lord, but you know what, I'm still gonna put, I take some time, thank you. I, I'm gonna take some time and, and then later, I'm gonna live for myself and then later I'll be made right with God. Well, know this, you will give an account of what you've done. And so that ought to bring sobriety to our lives, we we ought to be continually calculating whether what we're doing or not is pleasing to the Lord. This is what we do as the children of God. Uh, maybe just uh, flip over to Psalm ninety as well as we think about this. So we, we need to live as that fact that with the fact that we are not here for a very long time. Judgment is coming, but we we need to know that. This life will be done before you know it. Psalm 90, let's just look at verses nine through 12. Great psalm for us to read the whole thing and and keep uh, in mind what it's talking here about and again, that life is short and full of trouble. But it says here, for all our days, verse nine, pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. You're not here long. You need to be continually thinking about the fact that, that, that Lord I, 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 my life is brief. Lord, teach me to number my days. It, it's to evaluate continually how I'm using my time. I, am I using it in a way that brings glory and honor to the Lord, or am I just kind of letting it go and spending my time in, on things that are worthless, spending my, my efforts on, on things that don't matter, We need to consider the fact that our life is short. It was um, 31 years ago, way back when, in the month of February, as an 18-year-old, that I remember hearing a a speaker talk about the brevity of life. And, And God just used that in my life to say, I want my life to count, I want to live my life for something that will will, will be for eternity, not just living my life for what I want. And that was at that time. I didn't know what that meant. I just said, God, here I am. I I don't know what you want me to do, but I want my life to count for you. And I, I, I would want you to hear what I heard that day, that your life is short and you want to spend it wisely for him. This is what we do as the people of God. We we consider the reality of death and then we live accordingly. Because we know that our days are brief. We want to live a calculated life. We we want to, to, to live today with the mindset that we want to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. And so our priorities that we make each day should line up with that so that we would bring glory and honor to him, and that we would not be ashamed on that day. So, three realities of God's children. We wrestle with the reality of death. Secondly, we walk with the God of life. We walk with the God of life. We've seen this pattern, and they died, and they died, and they died, and then there's this guy that doesn't die. His name is Enoch. Let's look again at verse 21. Verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. I was listening to the the book uh, Heaven uh, by Randy Elkhorn, I was driving yesterday. And uh, he talked about this, you know, the, the reality that we're going to recognize people in heaven. We're going to get to talk to him. He says, I can't wait to talk to Enoch's wife. And I was like, that's a great perspective, right? Like, he, he's you know, he's taking the trash out and then he's gone. You know, he's just gone. You know, wh- where did he go? What was her perspective on that? Was she told what had happened? Like, we we don't know. We're not told, but we are told that he walked with God and then he was no more. And you and I, with this family line of Seth that we follow, that we have this privilege to walk with God. What does it look like to walk with God? There's three things I want to highlight here. First, we need God-pleasing faith. As we look at the life of Enoch, we see that he had God-pleasing faith. Uh, Hebrews 11, 5 and 6, if you want to just write that down and look it up for yourself later. But Hebrews 11, 5 and 6 talk about Enoch. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. How did he please God? Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In this passage, we see that, that to walk with God begins with having faith. God pleasing faith. This is how we are all made right with God. If we are to follow in the line of God, then we must have faith. When he studied the book of Romans, we've seen in Romans chapter 4, how was Abraham made right? It was through faith. Romans 4 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. There is only one way to be made right with God, and it is through faith. He uses the strongest terminology possible. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And there's so many people in this world trying to use good works in order to be made right with God. That will fail every time. You must have faith if you would to be made right with him. You must believe that he exists. We live in a day and age where faith is popular, right? Well, I'm a person of faith. You hear that more and more, it seems like. I'm a person of faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? Because there is only one faith that saves, and it is the faith in the one true God. God. It doesn't matter how sincere your faith is in your man-made God, it will not save you. That's another lie that's being told in our world. Like, well, as long as they were sincere in the pursuit of the God of their own making. That's Cain philosophy. And we know what happened with Cain. You know, we have to come to the one true God. We have to believe that he exists. And then secondly, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We not only come and, and, and believe that he's there, but then we pursue him in, in the light of the fact that we believe that in him we can have life. In him we can be rewarded. That he is faithful to his word. Again, we think about this family line. Enoch believed, and it was credit to him Sorry, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we see in Romans 4.20, continuing to talk about Abraham. Romans 4.20, again, write this down. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, listen, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Do you see how the family line of Enoch and Abraham they are exactly the same? They believed God that, that if they, they, they pursued him in faith, that they would be rewarded, that God would be faithful to what his word says. And so it is for you and I today. If you are to be of the family line of Enoch and Abraham, you must come to him in faith. You must believe that what his word says is true. Verses like Romans 10, 9 to 13, what does it tell us? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The same faith of Enoch, the same faith of Abraham. We come to him believing that if we put our trust in him, if we we believe in him and, and confess that he is God, that we will be saved. Note that it says everyone It doesn't matter the sins you've committed. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how old you are. Everyone who does this, everyone who comes to Him in faith, everyone who puts their trust in Him will be saved. He says in verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray that everyone here this morning can say, Yes, that is, my, that is what I believe. That is whom I have put my trust in. My faith is in him. I believe that I will be rewarded on that last day, that I will be saved because I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, he has died on my behalf for my sins, that as he hung on the cross, he took my sin, he took your sin, and he paid the price that was due. And so as I stand before him on the day of judgment, knowing that I deserve wrath, I will be saved because of what Christ has done. Isn't it interesting, the line of faith that we're from? Isn't it exciting to think back about our family tree? I mean, you you get excited about maybe, you know, Ancestry.com, how much more excited should we be as we look at our family tree and say, hey, we get to be as Abraham. We get to be as Enoch and put our faith and trust in him, believing that he rewards those who seek him. So much more than you'll get a new house or you'll get health. No, you will be saved. You will have life eternally if you put your hope and trust in him. So we see that genuine faith is also, secondly, manifest in God enjoying fellowship. God enjoying fellowship. We go back to that passage in Genesis We see twice that it's mentioned that he walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? Walkie says this, this rare expression denotes to enjoy supernatural, intimate fellowship with God, not merely to live a pious life. Enoch's life affirms that those who walk with God in this fallen world will experience life, not death, as the last word. Enoch becomes an example to us that that death doesn't have to be the final story. That, that, That though our sins deserve death, there can be life. God can rewrite the story for you and I. Enoch had a genuine relationship with God. He sought the Lord in prayer. He enjoyed spending time in his presence it was in his heart to walk in obedience to all that God had said. Instead of living a life contrary to the word of God, which is the line of Cain, walking in rebellion against everything that God says, instead he walks with God. He walks in alignment with what the word of God says. He's, he's, not, he's not fighting it every step of the way. He's saying, no, God, your ways are good. And I believe and I am going to trust you and I'm walking with you. It was his joy to do the things that God commanded him to do? His life was pleasing to God, both in word and in action. He walked in harmony with God, he was devoted to God in all that he did. And Matthew's notes that this lifestyle indicates communion or intimacy with God. We think about Matthew 7. Those who are standing before God and and they're saying, hey, didn't we do this in your name and didn't we do that in your name And, and, and they will have to depart. Why? Because God says, I did not know you. It is our privilege, it is our joy as the people of God to have intimacy with God. The best part of heaven will not be the gold. It will be being in the presence of God. And Enoch got that. He, he had a taste of what Adam had in the garden, right? Of course, Adam, there was no sin in those early days in the garden, but, but Enoch got close to that because he walked with God. And so it can be for you and I. Is that your joy each day to, to get away and be with the king, to, to read his word, to, to fellowship with him, to talk with him about your day and then and, and, and to walk with him through your day. And that is our privilege as his people. Is it your joy this morning to follow in the pathway of Enoch and Abraham And of course, our ultimate example, Jesus himself, who we see getting up early in the morning to spend time with the Father, staying up late at night to spend time with the Father, and then everything he's doing throughout the day is what? According to the will of the Father. Submitting to his will all through the day. This is our privilege. This is our joy. We too can walk with God because of our family tree, because of our hope and trust in him. If we're being honest, some of us this morning are like, yeah, no, it's it's not where I'm at right now. Like, reading the Word is like, ugh. Like, okay, I know I'm supposed to do it, but, like, I'm not getting anything out of it. You know, Who has time for prayer? Like, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. And I I get I'm supposed to do what the Bible says, but I, I just, I'm having a tough time with that. Every time I try to do it, it just doesn't seem to work out. It seemed to fail. Well, today's a great day to repent. Today's a great day to cry out to God and say, God, change my affections. Change my heart. Lord, I long for that intimacy with you. I, I desire to walk with you. I, I don't want to walk in my own ways anymore. And Lord, I know that left to my own efforts, I will fail over and over again. But Lord, you've given me your spirit. You've given me a word. you give me the body of Christ. And if I would put my faith and trust in you, Lord, I will see that intimacy. And, and so today I repent. And as we then walk with him. We see the third thing God fearing faithfulness. God fearing faithfulness. Flip back to the end of your Bible almost, Jude. I want us to look at this ver- these two verses together because it's just fascinating. As I was studying this week, I was like, I don't know if I'd noticed this before. Right? This is incredible. Like the, this, they're just talking about Enoch here in the book of Jude. right? So much later. Jude chapter, or sorry, Jude chapter 14. Well, there's one chapter, all right? So you don't need to look around very long. Jude 14 and 15. Writer of Jude says this, "'It was also about these that Enoch, "'the seventh from Adam prophesied, "'saying, behold, the Lord comes "'with ten thousands of his holy ones,' To execute judgment on all, and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You may have noticed there's something about ungodliness in here. Like it's almost, it's almost, you get a bit of a smirk on your face as you're reading because it's like he's almost tripping over his words to say, listen, they were ungodly. Their whole character was ungodly. Their words were ungodly. Their actions were ungodly. And guess what? God is going to judge these deeds, these words, their their ways. Everything about them will be judged by God. One day, the Lord is coming with tens of thousands of angels, and he will judge them. In the context here, he's talking about false teachers, all those who are walking in ungodliness. And guess what? Enoch, in his day, was prophesying against false teachers in his day. I love what MacArthur had to say about this. He's like, like, how crazy is it? They could have literally went to Adam, right? The guy who was there at the beginning, and yet they're still twisting and distorting truth, as is the case today. Sometimes we go going to think that, you know, we're kind of living in like really, really hard times, and, you know, like our day is unique. Well, it's always been this way, as we see with Enoch. he's prophesying, Long even before the flood, he's prophesying about the final judgment that is still to come, that all those who are ungodly will be judged. And as we walk in the family, tr- in the family line, you and I also need to be warning people that judgment is coming. Jud- God will judge all ungodliness. Not just some of it, all ungodliness, every word, every action, every way that is against him will be judged. And we have this beautiful picture in Revelation of, of Jesus coming with his angels. And for those who are apart from him, it will be terrible. But for those of us who are waiting and longing for this day, it will be relief. Which brings us to our last point. As God's people, three realities of God's children. We, lastly, we wait in the hope of relief. We wait in the hope of relief. It says in verse 28, if you want to get back to Genesis chapter 5. Again, we see this, this pattern, but then there's this exception. Verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and he called his name Noah. Noah. And then we're told why he named his child this. He says, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. He he was longing for relief. We're going to get to Genesis 6 here in a couple weeks. We, We see that there's this increasing of wickedness over and over and over. It's, 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 just, it's just spreading all over this world. And Lamech's like, we need relief from the curse. He longs to, to, to not see a world that is full of brokenness. He, he longs to see a world that's not Full of death and disease and hatred and violence and every sort of wickedness. Lamech is like you and I. Longing for relief. Longing for a new creation. And he says it will be through my son that this will happen. He he prophesies. He believes that through Noah there will be relief. His name means rest. And he believes that through the Lord that there will be relief through the son Noah. The world of his day, again, was just feeling the consequences of sin. And I think it's so fascinating. As we think about Lamech, he's no different than you and I, living in a world full of evil and darkness, waiting for judgment to come. And as we're gonna get into things in the weeks to come, we know, of course, the flood comes. The flood comes and, and judgment comes on this earth. And for a short time, there's these eight righteous people who are saved and all wickedness is destroyed from this earth. You're like, okay, is that it? Is, it, it, is salvation come? Is he the one, is Noah the one who will finally destroy the serpent? Well, after the flood In little vineyard work, we see that no, he's not the one, but he's pointing to the one. There's still one coming who will save us. And this morning, as we're going to transition into our time of communion, there's that reminder that we know the one now. His name is Jesus, and we know that judgment still needs to come before the new creation, before the new earth. There was a new creation. There was a new earth after the flood, but it wasn't, that wasn't it. There, there was still sin on this earth. We still needed a redeemer. We still needed a savior, one who would save us from the power of our sins. His name is Jesus, and now we await his return. And what Enoch prophesied will come to pass it may come today, it may come tomorrow, it may he, Christ may tarry until after we are gone from this earth, but he is coming. And so let us live with anticipation. Let us live as his children. Let us wait in the hope of relief. It's an awesome family tree, isn't it? That you and I get to be a part of. People like Enoch and Abraham and Noah. Abraham's to come. But ultimately, we get to be God's children because Christ has first come. And so let us pray as we anticipate thinking about both his first coming and his second coming. Let me pray for us. Lord God, We thank you for the privilege that we are your children. We thank you that we finally have rest for our souls because Christ has come. And yet, Lord, we await the final rest, the day when you will come and bring final judgment to this earth. And then, Lord, a new creation a new world where, Lord, we will be in your presence, and the presence of sin will be done with forever. No more wrestling with sin, no more wrestling with death in our lives, but God, we will be with you, and we will walk with you for all of eternity. God, we long for that day, we cannot wait for that day, but between now and then, Lord, would you use us? Would you help us to herald the truth just as Enoch did, as Noah did in their day in the midst of so much evil? God help us to warn those around us that there is judgment to come, but then Lord Lord let us proclaim that there is hope. Just as you saved Noah in the boat, Lord, you will save us through Jesus Christ. God I pray that is true for everyone here that Lord they have placed their faith in you. Lord that they have trusted in the fact that Lord those who seek you will be rewarded. They will be saved through Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that that's not the case, God, would you show them that you are the way, the truth, and the life? Would you give them faith today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.